0: It's an 87th Precinct podcast. This is the only podcast in the world dedicated to Ed McBain's seminal series of police procedural novels, which began in 1956 with Cop Hater and ended in 2005 with Fiddlers. There were 55 books in the series, and today's episode looks at book number 54, Our Namesake, Hark. I'm accompanied on this trip through a world of returning baddies and anagrammatical nonsense by my good old pals, Mr. Morgan Brown. Hello. Mr. Stephen Royston. Hello. And I'd like to say thank you for sticking with us as we round out the main series of this podcast. We're, we're nearly there, nearly done. So don't to forget to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, look up at Hark87 Podcast to keep in touch with us and keep track of how we'll celebrate the conclusion of all of this <laughs> But, uh, you know, we're going to get started with Hark, Book 54, which feels very strange. We are on the cusp of completing the series, ticking it all off. And that's what it's all about, really, isn't it? Lists and order. (laughs) And then we start again. <laughs> yeah, that you way. Know. We should have just reviewed them in a random order. Oh, that was the crisis that would befall my mental health. Just pick them out.
1: So sometimes you have to do a second podcast about the same book you've already
0: done. Take years, oh, blind. It's already taken us years. <laughs> well, it's <laughs> taken it even more years. Well, there you go. Uh, yeah. Do you know what? Before we get started, I haven't asked this for a while. Mm. What are you reading at the moment, gentlemen? Morgan, what's what's on your reading pile or have you just read I well I've just
2: f- recently finished a book by Saskia Holling called Girlsville the story of the Delmoners and the Head Cotees. oh that sounds um, good which is great yeah just a, a bit of a, an oral history of um, the the women of the Medway garage punk scene of the 1980s and and, and 90s uh, no. which I've been looking for for a while It's it seems to be it only came out last year but it seems to be sold out everywhere but I found it in a shop in Glasgow and blasted through it in about a day because I was very excited. Yeah, well, um, yeah, that sounds good. And now I'm reading a collection of short stories by Samuel Delaney uh, called Driftglass, which is also very
0: good. Fantastic. What you got right. on the go, Steve-O? I have just
1: finished a book called Ultras by Owen McNamee.
0: Is that ultras as in ultra fans of No, it's
1: not. No, because I I was explaining this to somebody. So it is about... He's the guy who wrote Blue Tango, which I might have mentioned before, actually. I don't know what it's quite like. You know those books by David Peace that are all named after the years that I've not read any of? But in the same way that I've read his book about Brian Clough, they're like fictionalised versions of non-fiction
0: Right. So this
1: is all about the troubles in Northern Ireland and about shady characters that the British government sent over, principally Robert Nyrak, who was like a a guy who kind of infiltrated the IRA, but also kind of egged on like the loyalist paramilitaries and allegedly took took part in the blowing up of the that Irish band who were called the oh um, that's the
2: big show band what are they? yes yes yeah,
1: yes the uh, Miami you. show band yes. in the mid 70s oh, that's horrible wow. yeah so sure um, and there's also these other characters brought in uh, you know like half of them you can like find them so like they're all real people and yeah he, it's fiction but it's not fiction but it is fiction so right. yeah it's quite interesting yeah no oh, right excellent yeah. stuff
0: what's about you well, I was just looking at my list here, and it's, I mean, every other book on it is generally a McBain. Mm. Uh, I did i did read another part of The City recently, which is huh. a McBain city-based cop story set in a precinct. Yeah. But bafflingly, I don't know why he didn't set it in the same city as I, The 87th Precinct. I thought the exact same thing, but it's, it's just in New York, isn't it? Yeah, because it's set in Chinatown. Isla as a Chinatown. It has all the equivalent stuff. I don't know. It would have taken almost no revision to, to do that as well. I know, it? absolutely. You know, it was, it was fine. Yeah. It was a standalone. It, it would have been very weird to have been perhaps inserting it as a side note into the 87th Precinct series. But that was, it wasn't too bad. Uh, yeah, and other than that, I've been reading the novelisation of the Beatles movies, <laughs> The uh, Hard Day's oh, Night and matters. Help, which uh, it's amazing to think that those films were novelised, but I've been doing that for research for... Um, for our other podcast, the Big Beatles Sort Out that I do with my brother, uh, yeah, Is it John,
2: John Burke, who does the, the Hard Days Night one. Yeah,
0: Burke wrote the uh, the Hard Days Night one, and a chap called Al Hine wrote the one for Help. They're it, always great those novelisations because they are literally. Here's a copy of the shooting script. Uh, Go
1: and write a story. It'd be great if the books existed and then the films were based on <laughs> the book.
0: <laughs> it would be weird. It would be weird. But yeah, it does mean you get scenes described that don't end up in the film, that mm. they were never even shot or whatever. So it's, oh, because right. it's just the shooting script there, and none of the revisions that come from actors changing things on set or so, schedules changing.
1: So they would have still been written before the film was yeah. Yeah. Fil- yeah, filmed. Yeah,
2: I guess
0: because so, they would need to be ready in time for, for the, the... marketing of
1: yeah. it. Yeah, Or they would be written whilst filming was taking place.
0: I think before... Because they read exactly as the as the shooting scripts were, yeah, well, so okay. I think it's basically just someone's told is the script, go and write the novelisation of this, regardless of whether it bears any resemblance to the finished product Brilliant. at all. There's
1: a gazillions of those for like science fiction films, aren't there? Yeah. Yes, there
0: definitely is. Mm, interesting. Right. Anyway, there's some uh, additional book chat yeah. for you this this <laughs> episode. Indeed. But we will get on to uh, Hark eventually, once we've talked a little bit about 2004, the year in which it was published. Mm. And I'll now give you a review of uh, McBain's doings at the time. His comings and goings. Yes. Well, anyway, let's have a look at the year. I've not got much because, as I've been saying almost every episode for the last few episodes, God, it's depressing researching (laughs) modern history. Good
1: job he's not been writing over the last few years, isn't it? Yeah,
0: well, I mean... Well, anyway. 2004, <laughs> the Prime Minister in the UK was Tony Blair. The President in America was George W. Bush. It was a re-election year as well, so he was re-elected. And here are the things I've chosen to illustrate 2004. The 4th of February, Mark Zuckerberg launches The Facebook. The Facebook? The Facebook. The Facebook. Be like The Batman. Yes, indeed. It's but, went the other way around. Yeah, he's gone from the Facebook to Facebook. Huh. God, I wish I could quit those social media things, but it's very difficult. <laughs> but yeah, that's when Zuckerberg, the big weirdo, started doing that stuff. That was when it was like an on-campus thing. It's somewhere like Harvard or something like oh, yeah, that, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, was it's one of the Ivy League places, wasn't it? Definitely. You'd miss yeah.
1: all the videos about cats doing silly things, wouldn't you?
0: Quite. Uh, let's well, let's jump forward from that to well. The end of July, in fact, and we have the trial of Saddam Hussein beginning. Ooh, right. Oh, right. Yeah. Which I mention only really because, I mean, in terms of figures that dominated the 1990s and the early part of the 21st century, I'm afraid Saddam Hussein was one of the big uh-huh. names. So his going on trial and what subsequently happened is, um,
1: yeah.
0: is a big, important thing. We have a Summer Olympics... In 2004, in Athens. Mm. Nice of them to give it to Greece, isn't it? (laughs) And talking about technology, 19th of August is when Google goes onto the stock market. Mm. So Google had been around a bit. And I'll give you a little bit more on Google, just because it's kind of relevant to the book we're talking about. (laughs) Some Googling going on. Yeah, I did did Google, Google. (laughs) (laughs) It's an infinite loop of Googling. Yeah, 22nd of November, the Orange Revolution begins in Ukraine. All right, yeah. If you want, you know, relevance to contemporary Mm. events, sadly. And rather, even more sadly, on a global scale, really, in terms of sort of things you can't really do anything about, 26th of December in 2004 was when it was the giant tsunami in the Indian Ocean. Oh, oh, yeah. Which is such, you know, for anyone who celebrates Christmas and then wakes up on Boxing Day, as it is here, and you're generally in a good mood and you've a nice festive period and you put the telly on and you have to see that over the other side of the world and the suffering. I just remember that very clearly and very, very horrible. Uh, yes, anyway, let me do a little bit about Google before we move <laughs> McBain Woods. I'd say guess what the original name for Google was, but you wouldn't be guessing until the end of time unless you knew, in which case you wouldn't be guessing. So there you go. It, originally, it was going to be called Backrub. Yeah, I can't see a problem with that. I'll just back rub that. Yeah. Eww. It was I mean apparently that was something to do with how they accessed some back-end results or something, I don't know. Oh, okay. But it's it's very sort of tech bro's sort of mm. back rub. That's a bit creepy. <laughs> yeah. Uh luckily they went with Google changing it from the name of the big number and it all being about the idea that it returns you all these search results. They incorporate the company in 1998. And then in 2004, as I mentioned, they start offering shares at $85 a share. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what Google's current share value is. And I can, it would be very easy to look up, but I'm not going to. <laughs> i give them the oxygen of publicity. <laughs> uh, but they, they bought YouTube in 2006. So you know they got control of many amusing cat videos. Yeah. yeah. But here's a good question for you. Do you know... On what television programme the first recorded use of the word Google as a verb was made?
1: Tomorrow's World. It's <laughs> a good guess. It's
0: completely wrong, but it's it's an American programme. Uh, Sesame Street. No, that's a very good guess, but it's still wrong. I can guarantee Morgan has seen it and would have witnessed this episode. Not at Simpsons. the time,
2: probably. Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Yeah, Buffy yes. the Vampire Slayer, yeah. <laughs> so there was an
0: episode in October of 2002 where... They're trying to find out something about one of their classmates who they think's got precognition powers. And um, Willow says to Xander, have you Googled her yet? To which Xander says, Willow, she's 17. (laughs) And then she says, it's a search engine. And that's the first televised recorded use of Google as a verb. Amazing. Yes, so there you go. Good old Buffy (laughs) the Vampire
1: Slayer. It's a shame some of the other ones didn't carry on for a bit longer. Yeah,
2: a good old Ask Jeeves.
0: Yeah. Yes, because... Have you
1: altavisted <laughs> him?
0: Yeah. Yet. Lycos was that one? Yeah, Lycos. They were a, uh, oh, I don't know. <laughs> it was such a weird, different time. Yeah. A time of CDs on the front of magazines or in newspapers that apparently hooked you up online and mm. stuff like that.
1: Yeah. Got the Tiscali CD.
0: Oh, yes. <laughs> Tiscali. <laughs> It just It's a, like yesterday, but a million years ago. Yes. Have you back rubbed her? Have you? <laughs>
1: yeah. no. Uh, no, I haven't.
0: Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> anyway, for McBain, obviously, we know from talking about his illnesses and things like that, I've not got much to say about his actual personal life and health at this point. He publishes Hark in 2004, and the other thing he publishes in 2004 is, or he doesn't publish per se, He writes Love or Money, which listeners to this podcast may have heard the mini episode I did about it. And if you haven't, go back and do your homework, (laughs) which he writes for the BBC short story competition called End of Story. So he writes a story with a cliffhanger in it. And then people were invited to submit. Some people went out and met him and he chose the ultimate winner. What to resolve the story? Yeah. All oh, right, I see. But I'll- he did. But he did also write his own end to it. Right. So there is a little mini eighty seventh precinct story that he wrote. All right. So that's why I did that little separate podcast about it. You see, that's the how I, That's my reasoning. Hmm. Yeah, and I will say I did. I did sort of summarize in that episode some of the endings. The the six endings, I think, was it that there were six endings chosen by a panel. Then three of them went forward to McBain and he chose the ultimate one and the ultimate one was definitely the best of the six and some of them were like these people have never read the books at all I haven't <laughs> got a clue about the." which, they, you know, the competition doesn't require that you do yeah, it's, yeah. it's very strange to read something where it suddenly quite jarringly doesn't have the feel of it not necessarily the skill of McBain because, you know, he's a writer who's been writing a long, long time mm. these people weren't necessarily they weren't professionals but yeah, some of them it's very, very jarring anyway so you can look that up still. It's still it's still there on the web, archived on the BBC's pages. Mm. Okay. So let's get on to Hark. A name I chose for this podcast because I like the sort of announcy feel of it. Having not read the book myself at the <laughs> time, <laughs> I mean I could sort of retrofit the idea as well that this book's got quite a lot to do with um, looking up stuff on computers. So. You know, this is a podcast which relies on computing technology. <laughs> yeah. I can retrofit it like that, if you like. <laughs> but yeah, let's ascertain. Steve-O, oh, had you read it before? Uh, I had
2: indeed, yes. And Morgan? Uh, I didn't think I had, and then I started reading it and realised that I absolutely totally had, yes.
0: Yeah, I think it's one that you would remember very quickly once yeah. the concept kicks in. Yes, it came came flooding
2: back then, yeah.
0: Well, I will, as the uh, most recent reader, I will try to summarise the main thing that goes on here, and that is that the deaf man is back. He is. And this time his weapon of choice is anagrams <laughs> and quotations and some numbers for some reason. And, yeah, palindromes. Palindromes, yeah. Getting there. Word games, number games. Essentially, all the things you just wouldn't use if you were trying to do what he was actually trying to do. <laughs> Which is a a fundamental problem to his character and the story, I think. So he's basically, he's teasing the 87th Precinct. He's back, having been left for dead in mischief a a few years before. Yeah, rather than just carry out his crime, as usual, he wants to wind up Steve Carella (laughs) and the 87th Precinct. He's putting in a distraction technique, so they don't know whether it is a Stradivarius violin that he's going to steal or a first folio Shakespeare book that's currently in the library in the city. And we also have, peppered throughout this as well, lots of romance issues. I say romance not in the sense of this is not lots of, People looking at each other with love hearts in their eyes. Although there is at least one pairing, yeah, a little
1: bit, a little bit of that. Yeah,
0: there is one, one and a half pairings i us <laughs> say, because Ollie Weeks gets his moment with uh, Patricia Gomez at the end. But mainly, it's uh, two couples essentially four... Four the... couples and
1: two weddings. It's a bit like the film.
0: Yeah, that's the film. Four <laughs> couples and two weddings. Uh, yeah, there is a lot of. Uh, there's a quite a bit of family stuff because Corella's family.
1: One wedding, two
0: uh, yeah. Well, it's one dual one, wedding, yes, isn't it? Yes, so, yeah. yeah. Corella's sister and mum get married. Yeah, there's all sorts going on in here. And then, we, yeah, like I say, we get Ollie Weeks coincidentally coming in to investigate the death of a pimp, which is related to the deaf man being there and someone he's using, which then sends him down a path where he discovers the person who stole his manuscript.
1: <laughs> oh, you do. yes, I forgotten <laughs> about that.
0: <laughs> which we will get to, uh, the plausibility of some of this stuff. And, yeah, it's a fairly chunky tome, I think. I mean, steve to spoiler here is has got a different edition to the one that Morgan and I have. The paperback runs to 352 pages, so it's a it's a solid beast, really. Yeah. Um, it doesn't look super massive in Steveo's edition, but it's you know
1: tiny writing. No, they, for that size that's slightly larger than yeah. usual, I think.
0: Yeah. yeah, they're not they're not tiny books at this time, no. are they? But I think that's pretty typical of the market. I think so, yeah. Let's try and get into this then. I mean, I am going to come to Morgan first and, and just ask for sort of first impressions before we get stuck in, or rather your re-impressions.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I, um, I can't remember where in sort of, in the order of the different Death Man books I actually read this originally. I, I mean, I, I, do, I do always enjoy his preposterous schemes but I mean they are preposterous and this one is like fairly high up in terms of the the sort of most preposterous isn't it yeah I, I think possibly when I originally read it I, I was it might have been quite relatively early on in my 87th Precinct fandom and I was just sort of devouring these books and just kind of dive through it and didn't really think too much about how ludicrous it was and I think now coming back to it after we've sort of um, gone through the entire thing in order, you're sort of a bit more aware of how daft it is compared to some of the other things. I I, I know with the Death Man ones, you sort of... It's a bit different to reading a normal entry in the series, yeah, isn't it? You, you You accept a certain amount of ludicrousness. Some of the throwbacks to earlier books I could definitely have done without because...
0: Quite a lot in this, isn't it? Yeah, mm. some
2: of them are fine. Then I think because the last Deaf Man entry was probably my least favourite book in the entire series,
0: uh, I wasn't too happy to see some throwbacks to that coming out. So I don't know. Steve, do reckon you could list the uh, one, two, three, four, five, uh, six uh, Deaf Man books? Um, off the top of your head? Absolutely,
1: definitely not. Uh, <laughs> eight Black Horses. The Heckler. First, yeah, Eight Black Horses. Yeah, The Heckler
0: is, is one of them. Heckler was 1960. Fuzz. Fuzz, 1968. Oh, you got yeah. much better memory than I, I have. Then the sequel to Fuzz, The Sequel, Let's Hear It for the Deaf Man, yes. 1973. The only one with his name in it. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, I wouldn't even go that one. <laughs> <Yeah>. Eight <laughs> Black Horses, 1985. Then... Then Mischief. Yeah. Mischief 1993, the... and now Hark in
1: 2004. Yeah. I can't get the impression he kind of... Ultimately, looking back on those, like how he, he he wastes him as a bit of a character, art, I think really, I don't know. Because like this, yeah. uh, you don't like you're saying you don't mind the deaf man as novel entries has been a bit dafter, but they definitely used to be a bit dafter in like an amusing, almost like anti-hero kind of. On. And yet this is daft, just like, well, certainly for the first half, I thought, really, really boring, because you just get all these messages come through. And you know full well you ain't going to be able to make any sense of them for ages, <laughs> otherwise the whole device of the book is kind of blown. So I was just rereading this, just wading through page after page, and just like, this is... You know, reading it, but just like this is boring. This is, you know, really boring. It's so obviously anagrams. It would take yes, yeah. any person over the age of ten about one second to realise that's probably what they were. And yet, you have chapter after chapter of about twelve detectives <laughs> li- retaking what they say literally, and it's. I just found it stupid. <laughs> but halfway through, when that device ends and the they kind of latched on to what he's on about. It settles down then and I yeah, found the, folk, the, the yeah. back half a lot more interesting engaging, oh. and engaging. It, it then starts to rattle along with the caper and the other stories gained a bit of momentum as well. But the first half I, I thought was, yeah, oh, I'm, not, not a great read really.
0: No, I'm kind of with you on that one. Uh, I mean, the the notes never really stop coming, but there is a point where the focus shifts. Uh, yeah, and, and like you say, the caper kicks in, and you get the stuff that you like in a caper, like yeah. someone doing the oh, how do we replace a chauffeur to, you know, get
2: yeah. all that stuff. I think those that was kind of the strength of the earlier Death mm. particularly like uh, I guess there's uh, the. At least a couple of them where he's got like a little crew, and you Yay. you spend half the, the the novel kind of following his machinations, don't you? And that's quite fun, I think. Whereas I'm... these the, these ones, you've just see the notes coming in, and then occasionally him displaying his tremendous. Uh, legendary sexual magnetism, which is always a bit creepy and disturbing, and we yeah. don't really want to
1: see. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that's that's what I mean about he Wasting him as a character. Those early ones, I've probably mentioned it in those. like always remind me a bit more like the Parker books, mm. where he's got a bit of a squad, and one of them's bound to be a bit of a liability, and you know it's all going to go totally tits up at some stage, but you can't quite work out how or why, but this kind of lacks all that, really. Yeah,
0: Yeah, Um, because the only person he works with in this is the ex-prostitute that he hires to do all his running around.
2: Yeah, who he, he, he seems to just let, let her to handle it however she wants, which is unlike him, really, because he normally controls everything down to the last detail. Yeah. She's incredibly sloppy and gets the police after her. He never really gets <laughs> out of
1: his dressing gown, does he, in this? <laughs> he, just, he just can't be asked, can he? Yeah, you see, all that device, so, yeah, all these messages he's sending, He he he, he picks up this girl, doesn't he, and then he gets her to find means of getting the messages to the precinct station which she ultimately does by first of all getting prostitutes to deliver them but then that all goes awry so then yeah. she gets like drug addicts it after seems like that
2: a, a very expensive and risky way of getting some messages delivered. Uh, yeah
1: I cannot believe that I don't know how many messages are in this must be 50 plus oh, they, they the would lots. all be del- you know it's just it, it, it's just so incredible <laughs> Um, so yeah incredible boring notes notes take up about a third of this book and it's just yeah Yeah, I
0: think one of the other problems is it strikes me and the, I think what's telling is there's an acknowledgements page at the back of this book where he acknowledges Daniel Stara mm-hmm. as his researcher who's been with him for quite a while and clearly he was going to have to do a lot of work because he said to him I need quotations from Shakespeare I need this I need to know how a computer works <laughs> <laughs> all that sort of stuff and clearly this guy's had lots to do but there's He's, devi- he's devised this concept of anagrams, he's devised this concept of using Shakespeare quotes, and then there's clearly not enough Shakespeare quotes to meet his needs, mm. so he's had to just start making things up, which then translates into the actions of the deaf man as a character. Mm. And so it doesn't make any sense. The whole scheme just falls apart.
2: Yeah, it's it's, it's all over the place, isn't it? It's not, not one coherent scheme at all. It's just yeah. it's a bit of a shambles. I mean, I, I slightly prefer it to the one in Mischief, which was I, I thought was... Very poor work from the deaf man, which didn't involve some kind of made up science fiction novel for some reason. And then uh, an announcement that that he somehow knew was going to spontaneously cause a race riot, which obviously wouldn't have happened in real life. It was just absolute garbage. But this one's not far behind.
0: Yeah, it's also got some of that element of eight black horses, where he's, but in that, he's got a consistent thing where he's yes. sending pictures.
2: Uh, eight black horses, yeah, that, that's kind of that's what you want a bit more. It's like, yeah. yeah.
1: Well, yeah, and the police can be excused for not knowing what on earth they are, but in this, it's like there's no excuse for not like clearly noticing that the line has the same letters, <laughs> same exact same number and same letters. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's also I'd not thought about it before with the googling. So he's obviously trying to like stick in the in like the modern you know, the, the contemporary times, isn't he, with with that and obviously Corelli using that to try and solve it. But then but then at the same time the deaf man's using like a real nineteenth century writing to the police kind of, and put messages yeah, yeah, to like handed to like, the desk.
2: Yeah, it's it's like never occurred to him that he could save Thousands of dollars by just sending him an email instead. <laughs>
1: yeah, so it's just yeah, it's, it's just yeah, it's all a bit uh, yeah, it's all all I, a I bit think mad.
0: We all. I also struggle in terms of I found the chapter where he explains to his assistant the deaf man explains to his assistant what an anagram is, and it's so embarrassing mm. and like, do you really think your readers don't know what an anagram is? And he's using it as a bit of I don't. It, it doesn't work for me in terms of the deaf man as a character. It's one thing for him to do the deaf man explaining in detail how the odds of, of something work, because it shows him then as a real genius. Hmm. Yeah. But everyone knows what an anagram is.
2: Yeah, I mean, I can believe that to some extent the deaf man is also a condescending prick, <laughs> no, which yeah. is how he comes across, but I, I, yeah, he, didn't, he, he obviously doesn't need to explain that and to, to suggest that there's a character who doesn't know... What an anagram is, is just seems ludicrous,
0: yeah. Yeah, right. Well, let me do a little bit of through the story, um, through some of the beats in the story. I mean, the first chapter is, about, is, an, is a direct follow-on from Mischief. I mean, not time-wise, it's mm. a follow-up to Mischief because he's tracked down the woman who shot him and left him for dead in that book. Yes. Mm-hmm. He's been off to find his special doctor who fixes him up and he comes back to find this woman who, for some reason, has stayed in the city... Or has come back to the city where... <laughs> As you do, yeah. Making herself easily traceable. Yeah, and he just he finds her, steals a safety deposit box and kills her. And I mean, that gives us a body to for the police to yeah, chase yeah. anyway. And we get Monaghan and Monroe turning up at that crime scene and we learn that uh, Monaghan has been married at least twice. Which is to the shock of Monroe, who doesn't even know that he's married <laughs> yeah. now. They've been partners for however long. yeah. yeah. We get yeah, establishing scenes with Kling and, and Sharon Cook. We get Cotton, who is now seeing Honey Blair, the news reporter. That's the one thing I didn't mention. Oh, yeah. The other thread in this is someone taking pot shots at Cotton Hawes. And how he investigates that affects his relationship.
1: That, that was another really strange thing about this book, in that, like, None of the other de- detectives seem to really give too much of a shit about that story. <laughs> no, no, that's is it? True. That's just true. You know, uh, and yet in previous episode, uh, episode uh, books where like one of the detectives has been shot at, the whole, it's like to, the whole yeah. police see, yeah, the, the force the squad rallies round, doesn't it? Yeah, they, yeah. In yeah, yeah. this, is they don't even talk about it, let just alone like, investigate it. It
2: it's it's just like, really, like, it turns out no one likes Cotton, so they're all secretly happy that someone's taking a photograph of him. It's just
1: really. Yeah, that's another really odd aspect to the whole thing as well. Anyway.
0: Yeah, it certainly is. I mean, it does give um, Richard Gennaro the, the chance to talk to Cotton Hawes and say, oh, I was shot in the foot once, which is an which is a throwback to Fuzz, one of many, 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 many throwbacks in this one. Um, what I was going to do is actually, I think, I'm sure we touched on this before for some reason, the anthrax mailings in the US are mentioned, hmm. and that... Off. You were working in a post room at yes. the time, weren't you, Morgan? Yeah. I'm sure we I talked about this perhaps when um, it came up in some of the history mm. sections we were doing. But it did change how you handled post and stuff, didn't yeah,
2: it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, certainly all the latex gloves and, and yeah, various other bits and bobs that we had to, to do and yeah, more sort of checks on everything.
0: And so that's why, as you know, there's the curiosity of someone delivering stuff to by hand is, you know, mentioned in a bit more detail. Anyway, notes keep arriving. Essentially, I've, my notes are notes keep arriving. They certainly yeah. do. Yeah. That's mainly what happens. Yeah. There are
2: some
1: notes. Yeah. And they start with anagrams, then they start with... Read them both the same way around, yeah. and then they go on to Shakespeare, don't they? That's it's just, generally the pattern they follow.
0: Yeah, I I got so but lost in, in the.
1: Apart from when Parker sends a pretend one to Richard Gennaro oh, yeah. that reads Hello, Asshole, upside down. <laughs> yeah. That was the best note, I thought. Yeah.
0: Yeah, there's um, a section of this where Eileen Burke's asked to go and cast a woman's eye over the crime scene. Oh, yeah. Um, and she makes a reference to a Disney film where they hired a a teenage girl to look over the script, but it turned out this girl was a thirty-year-old woman, mm. and I can't—I couldn't find
2: out what that was. That does feel like it must be a real thing, but yeah. I don't know.
0: So it's a Disney film that was written in before 2004. Mm. So where they sort of got a teenage girl in to check over a script. So I don't know what that would have been. I couldn't—I just couldn't find that. So if anyone knows, I would be interested.
1: And then, yeah, and she go uh, Eileen goes to the safe deposit place where. Um, Melissa's just taken all the cash, and never once did they consult CCTV. they could have found out who it was at that point. yeah and I mean so he, Wig, it's as Wig's though he's began. kind of lost his bearings on how crimes would be solved really because they could have <laughs> they could have just got the CCTV of the uh, the the bank yeah, there she is. Well, find we, that
0: person. Very true, yeah.
1: I know he always says that
2: the the, the squad start acting like idiots when the deaf man's involved, but well, they well, really do, don't they? They
1: do, they do, yeah.
0: And then we've got Kling discovering that his wife is mentioning by name another man, by first name, and this oh, just makes you want to push Kling out of a building. Mm. It, he just instantly starts being suspicious of his wife talking to a fellow black doctor, and it's kind of the thread of Black and white relations that runs through a lot of these stories played yeah. out through, yeah. a, through making pling into an absolute dickhead.
2: Yeah, it, it's it's that's all really heavy handed, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it is. Because it oh. they then talk about it's like they talk about the band Spit Shine. Oh you know, god, which oh, means we didn't... get we get the yeah. song from Mischief again. That's what yeah. that was the
2: throwback that was that I really didn't
0: want. <laughs> yeah. Oh god. Yeah. Anyway, but yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you don't want to be reminded about stuff like that, do you? No.
0: Corella, who is presumably using an abacus at work, um, goes home with a bunch of Shakespeare books he's got from the library and his kid says, oh, why don't you just use Google? This is...
1: <laughs>
0: this is something I find very... because Surely even by 2004, search engines must have been one of the key instant tools you could use for looking stuff up, referring for... St- you know. It's not like that was something the police went, oh, no, we don't need Google. We've got magnifying glasses. I think you'll find it wasn't actually until
2: 2005 that a 12-year-old told the New York Police Department to start using Google.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of these things are just... It's just reached the... It has reached the point, really, where he kind of think his years are a bit more... Obvious, are there in a yes, lot of his I so. in his writing, which is you know un- un- understandable, really. It is, but
0: he um, certainly he's incorporated new technology better in older books as it's come along, as it's been more, but it's tended to be stuff that's more specifically police technology rather than yeah. general technology.
2: Yeah, But yeah. This, the,
0: the
2: <laughs> I imagine, a forty-year-old detective would be aware of Google. I think we can reasonably assume. In 2004, Or or at least, you know, other search engines. Yeah, uh, some kind of search engine he would have been aware of.
0: Yeah. But I will say, I did check out to see whether the website that his son, Karela's son, Mark, shows him rhyme zone Shakespeare search, whether it was a real thing and yeah. whether it still exists. It is real and it does still exist. Wow. And so I could replicate exactly what they did by <laughs> typing Darling Buds into uh, rhyme zone Shakespeare search and it returns it exactly... It hasn't changed in all that time. And there's very few websites that haven't changed in, in the stretch of time we're talking about. I'm, I'm choosing to believe it
2: looks exactly like a, a website from... It, d- it does, yeah. Does yeah. it got a little counter?
0: Uh, well, I didn't see a counter at the bottom, but I will show you a, a quick um, just as a number oh, I three it. now. Now, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> yeah. after, no, I after Ed
1: McBain, David, what's his face, and now you. Uh,
0: yeah, Daniel Stare, and then Daniel and me. Starer, yeah. <laughs> uh, let me see if I just—I'll show you guys the picture while I'm here. I did put it on our um, Twitter feed, and it looks essentially like that's the top of the page. That's brilliant. So it's just like that in the centre at the top of the page. Excellent.
1: Rhymes. Well, there you go. But it works.
0: It it does what it says in the book. So Somebody
1: created that like 20 years ago and And just sat there ever since.
0: Yeah, Insane, really. Yeah, so someone attempts to shoot Cotton again. There's some weird little scenes where um, Steve and Teddy meet a caterer for this upcoming wedding. The fact that yeah, the timescale in this doesn't work, actually, as well, because he's still trying to get a caterer for the wedding, literally, I think, a week before the wedding's happening, which seems a bit close to, uh, mm. to call.
1: Clearly written by a man who's never planned a wedding. I <laughs> yeah. <would say>. <laughs> had several, never planned one. Yeah, yeah.
0: We also do get the coupling up of Hal Willis and Eileen Burke. They get partnered together, and the sort of jokey love they had for, uh, you know, the situation they were putting in fuzz... Uh. Finally comes to fruition oh, yeah. mm-hmm. in this, which I think is nice because yeah. Hellbliss hasn't had much to do in this at all, really, and his only real romantic story ended in absolute tragedy. Yes. So
1: yeah, he's always been a good character. Actually. Yeah, I'll, didn't I'll, he? I'll like. he had like a he had a fair run of prominence in like some of those like late seventies, early eighties mm. books, didn't he? But yeah, perhaps good. underused as a character. I don't good, know.
2: good for those two anyway. Mm. Hope it works
1: out for him.
0: Yes. Well. <laughs> 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 we'll see in the remaining yeah. book.
1: Yeah, maybe we don't. I don't know. Well, maybe there's it's not just, long enough for it to go tits up.
0: Yeah. Notes keep arriving. <laughs> uh, I say again, there's a reference to the birds. Of course, there is. Yeah, yeah. someone <clears throat> says that movie that Hitchcock wrote. Um, and then we well, he... have an appearance for, of Captain Frick for oh, the first yeah. time since 1992.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's he's good. He's good value, Captain Frick, isn't he?
0: Yeah, he actually, you know, does something in this. It's a couple of pages where he's doing something. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, the deaf man's assistant, Melissa, goes out and buys a gun. So this is something the deaf man hasn't figured out, is that if he gives someone a load of money, she might not necessarily spend it on exactly what he wants her to spend it on. Yeah, she ends up killing her former pimp, which brings Ollie Weeks into the whole thing. And we get to learn that there's a Greek musician playing a Stradivarius appearing in the city. We get to learn that there's a first edition... Folger first edition of Shakespeare in the City. Again, that all checks out. The Folger mm-hmm. Shakespeare Library does exist. There are something like eighty-two copies of the First Folio in their in their collection, and you can talk about websites if you want to. You can go online and see a digital version of it. Mm-hmm. It's a lot easier to do the research for this book now than it would have been <laughs> yeah. in two thousand and four. Yeah, and then yeah, I mean, again, Ollie just is a brilliant cop in this. Yeah. And, yeah, and, and in fact, a better cop than he's ever been because he's not as he doesn't succumb to as much temptation. He's not as rude. He's not as as horrible. Yeah. He, he
2: occasionally finds himself checking his own racism a little bit. Yeah, occasionally.
1: Yeah, he's just relentless, isn't he? When he's on, like yeah, the, he's. The on, on, he's
2: uh, however dodgy some of these these books get, the, the scenes where Ollie's just doing is doing the legwork are always a joy, aren't they? Yeah, Very yeah,
1: like it was... Yeah, so, so some of the best scenes in this are with him, especially, well, jumping ahead, maybe. but uh, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll get way. there. Yeah. Hmm.
0: So, yeah, the, the caper part of it where the deaf man hires a limo and he, he sort of talks to the driver to work out where they got the uniform. From. And the driver turns out to be from the UK, from England. And again, you see, he does all this research. So he, he tasks <laughs> Daniel Starrer to to go and do all this research. And then he has a character and he says, oh, um, whereabouts... In England, are you from? And he says, oh, "I'm from London, from a place called Cheapside. Do you know it? Cheapside's not a residential area.
1: Oh, no, I it's don't, just yeah.
0: by St Paul's. Yeah,
1: d- yeah, you, you'd just say oh, I'm a Cockney, wouldn't you?
0: Yeah, no one lives in Cheapside. I got bombed in the Blitz. There's not been any houses there for as far as I'm aware. Not unless you're uh, <laughs> it's a street as well. A as Russian an area.
1: billionaire, or
0: well, <laughs> yeah. you, might yeah. a, you might have, a,
1: yeah, but no, have you're, have you're have right. No, nobody would ever say it on from a
0: little uh, area called Cheapside. Yeah,
1: no. No, they wouldn't.
0: You'd say, oh, i live near St. Paul's if you live near St. Paul's or something like that. I don't know. It's just... Yeah. He's, he's always done that. He's not very he good comes... at his London stuff. He?
1: No. Anyway. It's almost he knows too much about it and therefore you get too so, Yeah, Somewhere
2: between too much and not enough.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> too much is... Simultaneously. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. But we do get Ollie coming across, by chance, a... Uh, sex worker, a prostitute called Emma, who he turns out to be Emilio, who was the person that stole his book Aye. in a brilliant bit of coincidence. <laughs>
1: The, uh, yeah, the scene where they get, he takes him back to the uh, station house, and he's uh, that's 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 like a really good bit, isn't he? Yeah. he you stole my book. You didn't write it. <laughs> yes, I did. It, 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 it.
0: There's a bit where he describes Ollie as like Ollie darts out of his chair, and he's coming around the desk with his hands <laughs> outstretched. Yeah, like, you can you, know, see you. that like a cartoon. Yeah, type. you can. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can Why you? I'm,
1: I'm her. You can't be. I've met her. What do you mean you've met her? <laughs> Yeah, I think that's funny. Really and he was like, why He was like, oh, don't worry, I can remember it all. He was like, does it end with like, oh, this is going to be the bri- the, the, the beginning of a brilliant new a brilliant relationship yeah. or something. And then he, yeah. he records him re- re- reciting it, doesn't he, word for word? Because yeah, so, yeah. he says he burnt it. I want it back. You can't burnt it.
0: It's just, I mean... Why yeah, did you burn it? It's, it's a very funny sequence. Mm-hmm. I mean, it does make you have to believe that this drug addict sex worker remembers word for word something from, you know, a couple of years ago, probably in the timeline of this. I'm not sure where the timeline goes. It's very hard to follow of that. But, you know...
2: I guess they got so involved in it, they've, like, read it countless times. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's as novels go, it's, it's a chapter. Yes,
1: exactly. So. It just say that as well in here, doesn't it? <laughs> and then the scene after that, all the other detectives are crowded around, saying, oh, that's amazing! <laughs> <laughs> Did you really rhyme that?
0: <laughs> Yeah, it's bonkers, it's bonkers. <laughs> uh, one thing I really do like about this, <laughs> talking about um, men from the uh, United Kingdom, is that it turns out at the special event at the library to do with the oh. the Shakespeare book, Patrick Stewart's turn up to oh, do a really reading. Close. I love the idea that the, the world of... Uh, Star Trek The Next Generation has, has crossed over... Well, the, the world of the human man, Patrick Stewart. <laughs> it's the,
1: it, well, it can be the only entry in which somebody from Huddersfield is in one of these books anyway.
0: That's very true. Uh, That's where, where's very
1: from tr- Murfield, near enough.
0: <laughs> yeah, get it right. We don't want to get letters from the, you know, Murfield gang. <laughs> but, yeah, I like the idea that it's just dropped in that <laughs> Patrick Stewart's going to be there. Yeah, and, yeah... What we? Do? What else do we get? Kling's still following his uh, his partner no. and uh, this other guy, and a third person, a, a a white woman that they seem to be meeting up with. Hawes does manage to track down the shooter, not realizing that he'd sent a note to Honey Blair to say I wasn't trying to kill you.
1: So, but she withheld.
2: Yeah. In order to keep the story
0: big on the news, and yeah, oh, yeah, it's not good, not good. But we also get another point where Corella's with his son looking up stuff on Google at home and the word grot is used. And I'm going to have to get the page up on this. It's page 297 in the uh, paperback.
2: Yeah, that's...
0: uh... It says, nice grot, stop. What's a grot? Corella asked. British slang, Mark said. (laughs) Brit kid in my class says that all the time. I feel a bit grot today. (laughs) (laughs) What? Now, yeah. I appreciate we weren't kids, 13-year-old kids, which is how old Mark, Mark Carell is supposed to be at this point.
2: Maybe all the 13-year-olds were saying this in, in, in 2004. 2004. I, don't, I, I don't think so.
0: What I do like about this, though, is the word grot is clearly a shortened form of grotty, grotty being a shortened form of grotesque. Uh, the first time the word grotty is used in the be- is in the Beatles film, A Hard Day's yeah. Night. Yeah. First time that was ever used as a... Well, the first time it was recorded on on anything. Amazing. So, but no one, no one I know has ever said, I feel a bit grot today. No. no, I mean, I don't... I mean, I think,
2: yeah, by... Even by the time we were 13-year-olds, grotty would have sounded a bit odd and sort of dated, wouldn't it? Yeah. Unless you were referring to Grotbags the Witch. Yeah, yeah and gr- that's a
0: whole other story. <laughs> yeah,
2: grot...
1: But yeah.
0: It's yeah. So again, sorry. I think this is this is what you get with this podcast—a uniquely British perspective of, of people getting annoyed about things. It's all we can offer, though,
1: really. Isn't it? <laughs> That's
0: all we've got. Yeah. So anyway, we 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 roll in towards the end. Essentially, Kling confronts Sharon. Uh, turns out to be entirely innocent, and he's basically put his relationship on the rocks. The caper finally takes place. It turns out it's the violin that the deaf man's after. What he's foolishly done, though, is leave his computer um, available to be hacked. Well, cracked is the word they use. I mean, she basically just logs on and looks just at his, switches it on. And just looks at his stupid records and finds that he's only booked escape tickets for himself. Yeah,
2: it's kind of like the... Um, uh, the episode of The Simpsons where uh, Lyle Lionel, Lionel Langley, who's built the monorail, has, has left in his office a pit of cartoon of himself escaping with bags of money while the monorail falls to pieces. <laughs> sort of like that.
0: Yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, yes,
1: yeah, yeah. And everything's just neatly laid out in, like, helpfully labelled folders,
0: isn't it?
2: Yes. Yeah, he's, he's become a very sloppy criminal genius by this stage, hasn't he? He's... Um...
0: But again, we've had a story not long ago where it was a computer with really neatly labelled files, although it had anagram names on it. But it was, again, it was the suggestion that computers, it's not really how computers work. He's sort of doing a bit like you would expect in a Columbo thing from 1983, (laughs) Mm. where it's like that would be the technology MacGuffin. Anyway, (laughs) But, yeah, the deaf man, being apparently the idiot that he is now, gets shot by this, this woman. So that's two stories that appeared, two stories where women have shot him.
2: Yeah, that uh, legendary um, sexual magnetism that he used to control people is just not working yeah. out for him at all these days, is it? He
1: cuts It's fine, though, because he rings the squad room, doesn't he, on his actual phone. Yes. <laughs> but then Scarpa's in just enough time not to be there when they arrive. So he can't be that far off, can he?
2: Yeah. A trail of blood. Yeah. In, yeah Into a tra- wardrobe. <laughs> <laughs> Just standing there in his dressing gown, which he still hasn't changed out of.
0: Yeah. And then, yeah, that's essentially it. We we find out what the crime was. It goes wrong for the deaf man as usual. Cotton confronts Honey Blair. They sort of break up. Kling and Sharon are on a knife edge. Hal and Eileen are. They're all right. They're setting yeah, out together, they're having a lovely time. And then Ollie goes and has uh, a meal with uh, Patricia Gomez, Aww. who sort of persuades him that he should perhaps go to the gym and drink milk and eat less. Yeah. And he sort of agrees. Yeah, mm. she man-
2: she manages to actually yeah say that without massively offending him,
0: which is real yeah. progress. A huge a huge leap forward for the character, really. Yeah, I, I yeah, it's nice. It's been the most rewarding thing. The sort of. The Rehabilitation of Ollie Weeks has been the most rewarding thing out of all of these books recently. And then, um, yeah, Melissa gets away with the violin. She does. There you go. Indeed. And that is that. I've not missed out anything really important, have I? No, I don't think so, really no. Sure. no. Right, OK. Well, we'll get to some uh, summing up, really, and uh, then give our responses. In fact, and I shall hold a couple of uh, contemporary reviews there, ready to reveal afterwards. OK, so I'm going to go to... Uh, steve over for a, a quick summing up and, and score. Well, yeah, well I feel
1: I my summing up to start with really so I won't repeat my rage uh, well rage but um, yes, pff, yeah, it, it gets better as it goes on but too much of this book is spent with the mechanics of sending stupid messages. That said, there are some nice parts, uh, especially with Ollie and when the caper gets going and the proper investigation to it, that's Better, everyone curiously couldn't care less that Cotton Halls was shot at, which is a very, <laughs> really weird kind of aspect to this book. Um, so you're wanting a score, I suppose? I am, yeah. Oh, I, I, I think I'll go... I'll go 55. It's 55? Five, five and a half out of 10, I think.
0: Yeah. Somewhere around there, anyway. Right, Morgan Brown...
2: Yeah, I mean, I can't really argue with any of that. It is pretty daft. Although, I mean, you know, I I, I enjoy I enjoyed it anyway. I, I I like a daft scheme, although it's a bit too daft to to sort of keep you hooked, isn't it? You could just feel you could do more with him. Yeah, yeah or he... just or just pick one zany plan and actually really do it properly, rather than pick, picking three and sort of doing them all in a really half arsed way. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's 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 got its problems, but I, I feel I feel a bit like I'm being disloyal if I go quite as low as fifty-five. So I'm going to say sixty police shields.
0: Oh, blimey! Well, yeah,
2: six.
1: Well, yeah, yeah. It's of that ilk, I would say. Although I should
2: have knocked some points off for the return of Spitshine. Yeah, but, uh, yeah minus twenty.
0: I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll <laughs> stay there. Caveat. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I. So I was the only person for whom this was a first-time read. And as a result, I had that thing of like, oh, well, here's the mechanism. This is quite interesting. Let's see how that goes on. And then exactly as Steve-O says, it's like you're four chapters on from that point and you're going, (laughs) oh, it's still happening. (laughs) So I I will say my immediate feeling after the first full read-through was I didn't particularly enjoy it. (laughs) I'm going to be honest. Going through it again for me notes today, as usual, I spot the character moments. I spot the nice things in it as well. But there is just too much going on. It does not need everything in it that's in it at all. I mean, I get that perhaps in his old age, he's quite, you know, wistful and looking back with his characters, hence so many references back to various things. But I don't know, it just feels a bit...
1: Quite a lot of the recent entries haven't had any of that. I seem to... And yet he's... He's got it in spades in this one, really, has not yeah, he? Yeah, well,
0: I suppose the Deaf Man is a legacy character, isn't he? You yeah, know, that's he, it, so. he, he throws the he, he he gives him the opportunity to talk about his history, and his, his history more or less covers the entire history of the mm. the series, bar the first few novels.
1: Yeah. Well, those bits aren't that bad. It's like the main. Yeah.
2: Yeah. The problem is making you think back to earlier Deaf Man novels makes you realise that he, he, the Deaf Man's just. Got a bit rubbish right now,
0: <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, he used to be good, didn't he?
0: Yeah, so I will be the baddie in this one. And I suppose I'm only going five out of ten, as in 50 police shields. Oof. What does think, that give I us? I think we
1: can work that out.
0: Oh, yeah, of course, you can. Sorry, I don't do maths like you do. You see, you're good at it, 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 it. That's 55 police shields for Hark. So I wish, kind of wish I'd named the podcast after <laughs> one of our lowest scorers, but you know, I still quite like the sort of exclamatory. Is that the word I'm looking for? Or declamatory nature of the word hark. Anyway, it's 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 a good word. Let me do a quick scan of some of the contemporary reviews. What have we got here? I have got the New York Times review from the twenty second of August two thousand and four, which of course is now not loading on my uh, electronic device. So I need to go. Need to Google it. Yeah, I need to get a man to go to a a, you know a library and dig out that copy of the.
2: Or find a 13-year-old child. They'll probably sort it out for you. Oh, here we
0: go. So, Crime by Marilyn Stasio. In Anxious Times, she says, trust Ed McBain to send in the deaf man. Ever since he first appeared in Heckler, this fiendish criminal has been the scourge of Steve Carella and his fellow detectives in McBain's 87th Precinct crime novels. How fiendish is fiendish? In Mischief, the deaf man tried to set off a race riot in a city. In Eight Black Horses, which found the big bad city in the middle of a crime wave, his diabolical plan was to blow up the Precinct station house. There's a lot of stuff here. This is a long review. <laughs> a full history mm. of the deaf man. Yeah, a few of the personal dramas, so she sort of singles out some of that stuff. A few of the personal dramas stand out from the rest. Carella's inability to celebrate the double wedding of his mother and sister while he's still grieving for his father has psychological complexity. It does. It gives Carella the best, uh, you know, character parts in that sense.
2: Yeah, that's true. I actually didn't really touch on that, but that's,
0: yeah... He says, uh, but even the more conventional romantic scenarios carry the message that love is the best way to counter social chaos. I don't know that no. it does. I think the social issue that he keeps talking about is is black people and white people. Mm. And in this one, he's talking about it falling apart in a loving setting.
2: Yeah, very true.
0: Anyway, she concludes by saying, if love can't conquer all, it's nice to know that an angry woman can make a monkey out of a terrorist. <laughs> Well, well, that's a good takeaway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Although I did read that and my brain briefly did just think, monkey? Doesn't turn into a monkey. An angry
2: monkey can make a woman Ooh, out of a terrorist.
0: Yeah, yeah I've got uh, the Washington Post review as well. You know, there's lots of superlatives about the author and all of these things. Uh, McBain is playing for laughs, and he gets them, working skillfully to create just enough intrigue to keep us in- interested in the bad jokes, the puzzling riddles, and the domestic melodramas. The whole performance is deft and light. I don't feel it was light. It felt mm. quite leaden to me. Like a magician's sleight of hand, the trick is pulled off while you look the other way. It's not that clever. I just don't think it's that clever. Oh, no. There's no there's no. no sort of like, oh, I hadn't realised that. Like, no, when, like, When you've seen him actually have
2: that lightness of touch and that sort of deafness that that he has in some of in a lot of the other books actually in the series it's you're of realise yeah. that this is yeah
0: it's a bit clunky isn't it it is yeah it is sadly but anyway there we go there's just a couple of reviews from the period I couldn't find masses of them uh, but I think there's a certain time in an author's life when he has been as long writing and as well established as McBain the reviews all start to blend into sort of the <laughs> same stuff every time and he'd have to have done something completely bonkers to get any different sort of review.
1: Yeah, well, he's he's wor- You know, his worse entries get better. You know, if you think some of his amazing early ones he used to get totally slagged off. Yeah, you?
0: yeah. And, well, certainly his star rises with the rise of sort of people's love of crime fiction as, as, as it becomes more respected. Mm. You know. Yes, he, yeah. Anyway, that's book number 54 done. Mm -hmm. I mean, we'll be back with a bonus episode to look at the book covers and other jazz from the year 2004. But when we come back, it will be for book number 55, which, if you don't know by now from the introduction to these programmes, is called Fiddlers. And
1: Another violin.
0: Yeah, violins all round. Violin's all round? What am I talking about? <laughs> anyway, um, we'll be back for that and the bonus episode. So until then, I'll say ta-ra. steve will say goodbye. And Morgan will say fairly well.